Amen. Welcome to church this morning. I hope you are all doing well. As some might be aware, a section of the Northeast um, is experiencing a tropical storm warning. Or even in some parts, there, there are even rains as a result of the oncoming Hurricane Henry. So I really want us to pray before we, we start. Um, to get into uh, the main meat of our service for this morning. Amen. And uh, I just want you to, I just want us to be encouraged by the song that was lifted, the goodness of God. Amen. Uh, God is good and he will not let harm uh, come near our dwelling or us. So let's be encouraged by that. So can we just lift up our voice and let's begin to pray. Uh, it's not affecting the whole of Northeast. It's just affecting their sections from Maryland right up to Connecticut. You know, there are some places, thank God, there was less damage or none at all. So it's, it's um, when I checked, I think, less than an hour ago, it says that it's beginning to trickle down. So uh, the category of the severity of the hurricane is being downgraded. So... We thank God for that. But we just want to pray that all will be safe, everybody will be well, and uh, we, we can move on to what God wants us to do. So let's begin to pray for uh, northeast of this country. Amen. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Open your mouth and begin to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Give you praise. Even this morning as we came before your throne room singing, the goodness of who you are. Just want to thank you. Kado saban talina moshika debre kayandoro bosika dabo katali bosika debebe. We declare that no victims, no lives will be lost. Uh, we declare that all will be safe and will be well. We declare Psalm 91 over every household of the northeast section of this country in the name of Jesus. Just want to thank you for today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, preserve us, O Lord. Preserve, preserve everybody, Lord. Preserve every house in every section of the northeast. I want to give you praise, O oh Lord, that it is done. It is done. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for divine protection. We thank you for divine security. And Father, because of this, our hearts will not fear. Thank you that you will lead us to the rock that is higher than us, O oh Lord. Give you praise. In Jesus' name. Father, we just want to thank you for this morning. We thank you that as we have come together as a group and a band of believers, we have declared and we have de we have declared and we have decreed, and it is so in accordance with your word. We rest in the assurance of your promise. 
We thank you that you have led us to the rock that is higher than I. And we thank you for the assurance of divine security and safety. And we thank you that when we turn on the news channel, we will hear of no life lost, no property damage. But as it has begun to trickle, may it begin to trickle down until it becomes harmless and pass our way, that we can continue what you have for us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so please, for those of you who are affected, uh, stay safe. Don't drive if it's not necessary. And please uh, stock up, amen. We, we thank God. Uh, God is with us, amen. So no need to even fear, amen. Uh, last week, we looked at the religious leaders and the Pharisees, how they reacted to the news of a blind man and how they perceived Christ. The apostles marked off religion and it led us to look at vain religion as exhibited by these leaders. So last week's subtopic was the pride of religion. And when you are religious, you focus on externals. You know, like I give the basic definition of religion as um, worship. So when you are religious, you are worshiping. But it is not likely you are worshiping God. So uh, like I said, the object of your worship has to be defined. All right. So these Pharisees were worshiping, but they were not worshiping God. And they didn't believe in Christ. If you read or if you do a careful study on the religious leaders in Pharisees and Sadducees, they worship ceremonies, performance, public image. And yet they didn't worship God. And even Isaiah prophesied about them. You people worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You know, so they were not really worshiping God. God was not the object of their worship. Something else. Um, so, and we realize that one of the idols that when you become religious, you worship is public image. Religious people are more concerned about their reputation than developing a godly character. Reputation is what people think of who you are. Godly character is when all the lights are off. Who are you? So there are some people like, oh, he is nice. That might be your reputation. But behind closed doors, you beat your wife. Your wife always wears sunglasses, whether it's summer or not. See, that, that's your reputation. Oh, he is nice to kids. That is your reputation. But your character is, you're a predator. And if I might even add, sexual predator. You see, so uh, religious people, they don't really deal with when all the lights are off, when cameras are not on. Let me deal with the character, the issue at hand. Religious, they don't do that. They just like to bask in the image of public reputation. And, and when you are religious, if you don't take care, that can be a very strong God. And when you read through the scriptures, you realize that these people... That's all they were more concerned. They were concerned about feeling good, appearing good in front of the audience than actually developing a godly character. It's good to have reputation because sometimes when your reputation precedes you, certain doors open. But make sure that your reputation and your godly character, they synchronize. Amen. Uh, we saw certain signs in them like lying, denigrating holy things, being traditional, 
among many others. The goal of Christianity whilst on this earth is to be conformed to the image of his son. The goal of Christianity, why are we Christians? It's not to receive a blessing per se. It's not to receive healing per se. It's not to receive deliverance per se. Now, that, that's why I'm using the word per se, right? It, so all these things are necessities in Christianity, but that is not the goal. All these are means to an end. The end goal of Christianity is for us to be conformed into the image of his dear son. That is why when we did the series in Romans, I think, last two weeks, we said that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That, that's, that's the goal of Christianity. And today we want to wrap up the last few verses of chapter 9. And uh, uh, we'll continue from there. So today is part 49. And I'm going to be ministering under the sub-theme, spiritual blindness. So turn the Bible to me to John chapter 9, verse 35 to 41. On the slide, I just wrote verse 35, but we're actually reading to the end of chapter 9, which is verse 41. And I read, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Father, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. I ask that let your illumination fall upon these scriptures. I pray that may I speak by inspiration and under inspiration. I pray that I let your word minister to your people and may it minister to all that will hear this recording. I thank you for answer prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture reading highlights a pertinent problem in the Pharisees um, who were religious leaders. Uh, based on this, I'm ministering under the sub-theme, Spiritual Blindness, and this is the 49th installment. It starts off with Jesus finding the man uh, after he was cast out by the religious leaders. Amen. And uh, it's interesting. Religion. You, you learn something there. These people professed Christ. The, the, um, the, the blind man, I shouldn't even call him a blind man because he was healed. The healed professed Christ. And when he professed Christ, he was excommunicated by the religious leaders. They got very offended. You know, religious people believe in excommunicating people and restricting the flow of Christ. You see, when you have a form of religion, you deny the power thereof. Um, Paul speaks about these people in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, when he outlined the signs of the end times. He said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. He mentioned a whole lot of lists. 
people shall be proud, shall be boasters of themselves. Uh, people will be lovers of themselves. How that scripture is fulfilled. The highest number of pictures are selfies. People are lovers of themselves. And then when you read verse 5, the Bible lets us know that having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So when you see a religious person, you will think he's a Christian, but in his heart, he's not. They push away. They push back things of the Spirit. Anything that has to do with the anointing, they push back. Anything that has to do with the gifts of the Spirit, they push back. Anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit, they push back. Now, this man, when his eyes got opened, I believe he came to the reality that, look, this man is more than a man. He must be Christ. And when he started preaching to these religious leaders, they like, you know what, just get out of here. They were not humble enough and believe nobody beneath can teach them. That's a sign of religion. A sign of a religious person is when you are not humble enough to receive correction. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that really challenges me. And that scripture is in Acts chapter 18. It talks about a certain man by the name Agabus. I'm sorry, Apollos, 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 Apollos. Acts chapter 18. When you read Acts chapter 18, the Bible lets us know that Apollos was mighty in scriptures. And he was an eloquent man. That's what the Bible says. Mighty in scriptures, eloquent man. Can you beat that? There's a man that knows the Bible. Plus, he is blessed with the gift of oratory. And when you read further on, the Bible lets us know that he taught the scripture accurately. This is Apollos, but there was a problem. He didn't know anything about the way of the Lord. All that he could preach was the baptism of John and things pertaining to the Old Testament. But one day, whilst he was on his speaking duty, a couple called Aquila and Priscilla decided to meet Apollos and they said, since you don't know anything about the way of the Lord, who is Jesus, do we mind if we teach you? And I like Apollos' attitude. He humbled himself. This was the man the Bible described, mighty in scriptures, an eloquent man, fervent in spirit. So Apollos was by no means a canal guy. He was a spiritual dude. But yet, when Aquila and Priscilla approached him, he humbled himself. I don't think he even knew Aquila and Priscilla were, were, were uh, pastors or they... they, they, they presided over a church. I, I doubt whether he even knew that. But the fact that he humbled himself and allowed them to teach him the gospel. And the Bible says that after that, Apollos now began to preach in Ephesus, Jesus Christ is the way. And many gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Look at Apollos. He was so humble to drop his teaching and, and allow himself to be corrected by a couple and then move along. And that scripture really challenges me. I always pray that, Lord, may I not be so proud that somebody can correct me. Indeed, if the person really knows the truth of the Bible. And may we not be so big and feel that we are above correction. Because that's one sign of a religious person. When the blind man began to challenge their doctrine, and of course their doctrine was wrong, their tradition was wrong, 
they rather excommunicated the man and they wanted nothing to do with the man. So people who are religious will never want to hear the truth. They will have a form of godliness, but they will always have a pushback to the real gospel and to things of the spirit. And I like something about Jesus. He doesn't excommunicate anyone. I like how verse 35 started. Jesus searched for the man who had been cast out. He went to search him. And why was he searching for him? I mean, Jesus could have said, I've healed a man. What else do I need from this man? You see, so Jesus was not after his money. So he probably didn't even have money. He probably did not have any prestige. But Jesus went after him. And the Bible lets us know he found him. You see, Jesus right there exhibited the heart of the Father. That's how God is. Jesus came to, when you read John chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that Jesus, he came to reveal who God our Father was to us. That's Jesus. So right there, he was exhibiting the heart of the Father. He searched for the man. Yes, he had healed a man of blindness, but it wasn't enough. When he found that he had been excommunicated and casted out, the Bible lets us know that he went to search after the man. And thank God he found him. And this is the God that we serve. He is the one that will leave the 99 in search of the one. And as much as Jesus wants a crowd, Jesus is also very vested and interested in one person. Amen. And I, I, I learned a lot from this here. Christian brother or sister listening to me, do you care enough to run after people to find out whether they are saved? That's what Jesus was doing. Now, this man has received physical healing. Now, Jesus is interested about the salvation of his soul that he went after him. And it's so funny that the religious leaders who were rather supposed to show the way of the Lord, rather casted them out. Jesus went after the man and he found him. And when I see this, it's sad because it's very unfortunate that when it comes to evangelism, church, we are aloof than any other thing. We do very little or nothing when it comes to soul winning or preaching the gospel to people to be safe for that matter. Evangelism is the least engaged and poorly patronized program of every church. And I think after evangelism, the second will be prayer, especially here in America. You can't say that for other countries, like in Asia, parts of Africa, and South America. Prayer is highly patronized. You can hold services like 5 a.m. on a weekday and the whole place is packed. But in this country, prayer is least patronized. It's the second least patronized after outreach. People don't do outreach in America. And I'm just speaking for this context because I'm based here. Very, very, very um, 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 unengaging. We don't engage in it. But may we have the heart of Christ. And may we engage in people and care about the salvation of souls. You know, all that we just like is fun. 
we are having a concert, we are having a picnic, but we will not bother to share the most important thing, which is the word, which has to do with the salvation of the soul. We have no problem inviting. Come for a picnic. Come for a church outing. Come for a church outing. We are very good at that. But with the same zeal and fervor we have, we, we can't seem to translate that zeal into witnessing and ministering to someone for Christ. But when Jesus found the man, he asked the man a question. Do you believe in the Son of God? He asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And in our quest to witness to people, one thing we have to know is that we will come across this group of blind men. You will be shocked at how many people are willing to listen to the gospel like the blind man. When Jesus asked the question, he didn't receive a pushback. The man was willing. I want to know him. Then Jesus gave the answer, which is our main course for today. But before that, he said, I am he. That's the guy you are seeing. And when the man saw that, the Bible lets us know he believed and he worshipped Jesus. So Jesus is God. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's God. There's only God that can be worshipped. He worshipped him. He found out who he was. But what I want to encourage you is that in your quest to witness, you are going to meet one group of people who fall in the category of the healed blind man. They are really searching for Christ and they need somebody. But Jesus said something. For judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be blind. And when the Bible uses the word for judgment, what that, phrase, that, that word means, it's a phrase. It means that Jesus came to separate believers from unbelievers. That's the judgment. So you can read it like this. For I came to separate believers from unbelievers, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may not see. And it leads us now to talk about spiritual blindness. And mind you, before Jesus met this guy, he had introduced himself to his disciples and everybody around his audience that I am the light of the world. So Jesus calling himself the light of the world means he came to deal with spiritual blindness. Now, the issue at hand when you read this scripture, there are some words that you will see in the verse I just quoted. You will see the word see and you will see the word blind. These are metaphors. Mind you, Jesus was talking to a healed man. So when he was using the word see and blind, he was of course not referring to the man's previous condition. He was referring to something more than being, being visually impaired. He was talking about spiritual blindness. So with that said, what is spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness is when you have a darkened understanding of who Jesus Christ is. 
So what Jesus was explaining to us in verse 39 was a spiritual blindness issue. He was talking about people who have a darkened understanding of who Jesus Christ is. With natural blindness, it affects the eyes. So when Jesus was talking about see, you may not see. And for those who see, they will remain blind. He was referring to the eyes of their understanding. When it comes to spiritual blindness, it doesn't deal with your eyes. Spiritual blindness deals with your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. Let me read the supporting scripture to assert that point. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we see that's spiritual blindness. So when we say that someone is spiritually blind, we are talking about a person who is ignorant of who Christ is and who has a darkened understanding of spiritual things. And what is the result of spiritual blindness? You will become dull-hearted to the gospel and the things of God, and you will become slow to believe. You know, Isaiah even prophesied that a time is coming that when the word is preached, the people will be in such a spiritual stupor that they will be dull-hearted and they will be slow to believe. And when Isaiah was talking about that, he was talking about Jesus walking in his day, meeting people who will not understand who he was, and mainly the audience that couldn't understand who he was were the religious leaders. And that's why when Jesus came, he did not really preach the gospel. He relegated that to Paul and he focused on preaching parables. And why did he have to preach parables? Because he had to fulfill scripture. That seeing they will not see, hearing they will not understand. Dull-hearted people as a result of spiritual blindness. And what will be the cure to that? Jesus who is the light of the world. That is why in the, in the series of the book of John that we are doing currently, one of the installments is called the I Am series. And so far, we've done three of them. The second I Am was, I am the light of the world. Jesus called himself the light of the world. And why does Jesus call himself the light of the world? He calls himself the light of the world because he came to deliver us out of spiritual blindness. And when we are delivered out of spiritual blindness, it means now he has opened our understanding for us to understand the things of God. And let's look at a quick scripture in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to, pre- to, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and 
opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, the phrase opening of the prison in Hebrew means opening the eyes of those blind. So that word opening of the prison is a metaphor. When you look at it in the concordance, it means to open blind eyes. So spiritual blindness means you are in a prison bound captive by the devil. And when Isaiah was prophesying about opening of the blind eyes, he wasn't just referring to restoration of visual acuity. It's deeper than that. He also came to open the eyes of the understanding of people so that people will know that Jesus is Lord. You know, for us to say that Jesus is Lord, it means we have escaped spiritual blindness. For us to understand the things of the Spirit means light has come. The eyes of our understanding has been flooded with light. And that's what Jesus came to do. So Jesus is the only person that can cure us of spiritual blindness. Hence his title, the light of the world. For this reason, that's why Jesus came. And when you read John 8, 12, the Bible lets us know that when we follow him, who is known as the light of the world, we shall not walk in darkness. And when we talk about walking in darkness, does it mean walking in a room without light? No, it's talking about we will come to a place where we will have perception of spiritual things and we will have an active understanding of who Christ truly is in our lives. Christ opens up our understanding to gain cognizance of who he is and of spiritual things. When you, when you lack spiritual understanding, which is the same as spiritual blindness, when you read the Bible, you will never understand it. And I thank the Lord that he sent Jesus who came to cure us of this condition so that we can exclaim Jesus is Lord and we can have cognizance of spiritual things. So Jesus is not just interested in healing blind eyes. And thank God that the miracle of Blind eyes receiving sight is still available. But Jesus came to do something much more meaningful than that. That is to open the eyes of our understanding. That is to free us from a darkened mind so that we can understand and appreciate the things of God and the things of the Spirit. Now, when you look at the last two verses, they are very telling. I learned three things from the last two verses in verse 40 to verse 41. The Pharisees who were with Jesus, they asked the question saying, are we also blind? And Jesus answered them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. It's a very scary thing, yet it is very sad. And I think during our Bible study, our teacher touched a bit on it. Jesus can only deal with our blindness if we acknowledge it. 
So there comes the question, what about if you don't know that you don't know? If you don't know that you don't know, then that is when the devil will hold you in captivity. But you know the funny thing? Jesus has come to solve that problem of we don't know that we know. So when we come to the bare reality of our condition, we just have to acknowledge we are blind and Christ will set us free. And these people, they knew they were blind, but they didn't want to acknowledge their condition. Jesus can only deal with our blindness if we acknowledge it. Look, coming to Jesus is not false. We will give you the message. It is up to you to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of salvation, in need of a savior. Therefore, may I say to you that you are not going to come across just a category of the healed man who are willing, who are quick to believe, who are quick to respond to the knowledge of the saving Christ. There are people too who are like the religious leaders who will develop a pushback and they will never want to experience the gospel. But what can we do for these people? We can only pray for them, believing that they will come to the knowledge of the truth before it is too late. Because the heart of the Father is that none should perish. And mind you, Jesus spoke of judgments. For judgments I came. I came to separate the believers from the unbelievers. That those who have a darkened understanding of the gospel will have an open understanding. But those who claim they understand they will have a darkened understanding. So you see, that's what Jesus meant that for judgment I came, that those who do not see will see, but those who claim they see, they will remain in their sin and they will remain in darkness. So, ladies and gentlemen, there are people who will not come to the saving knowledge of Christ because they would not want to acknowledge healing and freedom that Christ has come to set us free from spiritual blindness. And thirdly, there is also one thing that we have to note. Church people can be blind. These were Pharisees. These were religious leaders. They were blind. And that is scary. These were Pharisees who were religious leaders who go to the synagogue every Sabbath. And the Sabbath those days, it, like a Saturday, seventh day of the week, they go, they teach their scriptures. Yet Jesus looked at those church-going folk and said they were blind. It is possible that you can be in church all your life and you will be blind. Some have gone to church all their lives but haven't consciously made Jesus Lord of their lives. That is the problem. They are happy to serve but they refuse to acknowledge they are blind. And because they refuse to acknowledge they are blind, they can't receive healing. Let me close with this fascinating scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. I don't know what's happening to my internet. I seem to be cutting out, but it's recorded, so don't worry about it. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes, These things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. May I say this? Don't play religion. Christ knows our works. He knows our works. Whether we are cold or hot, whether it's good or evil, whether it's light or darkness, Christ knows our works. So we shouldn't feign Christianity and be religious. Let's worship God in spirit and in truth because truly he knows our works. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you know the funny thing? If you do a, a historical background on the seven churches, the mega church out of the seven was the Laodicean church. Members, nice building, affluent people, cars. I'm sure if we're all alive, we'll be like, wow, I need to go to this church if they are holding church growth seminar to have a church. Uh, of all the seven, this was the prosperous church, seemingly prosperous church in the flesh. And look at the warning God gave to them. I know your works. Don't believe the hype. You may have billboards. You may be on all the Christian television networks. You may be uh, on social media. You may have an IG page, which is even verified. I know your works. And even though this church had prospered, they had become wealthy, they had become rich, Jesus used five unfortunate descriptions to describe, quote-unquote, a mega church, a prosperous church. Now, I'm not saying that a mega church is not the will of God. Because the first time the church came into inception, it was a huge and a very mega church. God wants things to grow. But these things had certain things out of place. And that's all we should know. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Five unfortunate descriptions. Wretched are you, miserable, poor, blind, naked. And now Jesus is going to speak a figurative speech here. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So this is a metaphor, okay? Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So even though the church had sunk deep into the cesspool of compromise and sin, Christ still loved them. And that is why he rebuked them and, and chastened them. Now, everything that Christ said in verse 18, he is now going to give meaning to that hard saying or that dark speech in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I remember when I used to do with this and I used to preach this scripture a lot. I thought it was for unbelievers. It's for us. It's a church. It's a church. A mega church. 
out of all the seven, the, the most prosperous out of the seven. This is the message the Lord is giving to them. You are playing church, you are playing religion, but I don't dwell in you. I am the light of the world, but I am not in you. And because of that, you have no cognizance of spiritual things and you have a darkened understanding and you are running church and you are running ministry. I don't live in you. But if you open the door and, 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 and if you open the door at my knocking and if you will hear my voice, I will come in and I will dine with you. So these people's problem was they had kicked Jesus out and it's very likely that they didn't even have a relationship with him. So it's not only unbelievers who can be blind. But when you come to the church without acknowledging your condition that I am blind, I need the Savior who is the light of the world to shine forth his light of the glorious gospel, which will make me free out of the captivity of the enemy. You are in darkness, even though you are in the church. And Jesus says something, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father. You will go to heaven. It's only people who have been delivered from the condition of spiritual blindness that will qualify to sit at the table in heaven. And Jesus says something, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I believe what is written in Revelation is very much applicable to today's church. We have to hear and humble ourselves and acknowledge that, Lord, we need you at all times. May we never kick you to the curb because the day we kick the Lord to the curb, we will come back to our condition of spiritual blindness. We need the light of the world because it's only the light of the world that will free us from the plague of spiritual darkness, which causes one to lose cognizance of who Christ is and lose cognizance of spiritual things. Church, I truly believe God is speaking to us this morning through this scripture. Now, let me end this message. I want to end this message on when the man contacted Jesus, who is the light of the world? Something amazing happened. And I want us to take note of that. The healed man's increasing awareness of Christ. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When you contact Jesus, you will know who he is truly. Now, when you read verse 11 of chapter 9, the Bible lets us know that when the people saw that this man was healed, he became a topic of discussion. And when they asked him what happened, he referred to Jesus, a man. A man whose name was called Jesus healed me. So he saw Jesus as a man. Then when you read verse 17 of that same scripture, 
The Bible lets us know that now he was called by the Pharisees. What happened? Tell us. Now, he didn't call Jesus a man. He called him a prophet. Are you seeing something? He came into contact with Jesus, who is the light of the world. And now his spiritual blindness, which was darkness, was dissipating gradually. Then when you read verse 27, he was arraigned before the religious leaders again. For the second time, they questioned him again. And when they questioned him, this time he didn't call Jesus a prophet. He called him master. Why did he call him master? Because he said, do you also want to be his disciple? So now he didn't just see Jesus as a man or saw him as a prophet. He saw himself as I am a disciple of this man who is my master. So now he saw Jesus as a master and saw himself as a disciple. Now, when you read verse 33 of that same scripture, the Bible lets us know that he was preaching to the Pharisees and he told them that if this man is not from God, he could do nothing. So now you see, he didn't just see him as master now, he now saw him as this man is from God. Then verse 35 to 38, the Bible lets us know that when Jesus found this man and when he told him that I am the son of God, he said, Lord, I believe. This man saw Jesus as a man, but by the time he came into contact with Jesus, who is the light of the world, who came to take away the blindness, who came to deliver us from prison, that we will not be bound by the devil because we have a darkened understanding. He now called Jesus Lord. He called him a man in verse 11, but now he saw him as Lord and he worshipped him. I pray that in this year of knowing Christ, may we truly be delivered from spiritual blindness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 to 18. This is our prayer. I'm not going to read the whole of verse 18. I'm just going to read part of verse 18 and then we will pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. End of story. When the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, it means you are no longer under spiritual blindness. You don't have a darkened understanding. That's why I think New Century Version Someone should fact check me on that. It said that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light. I like that. It will be flooded with light. No wonder of all the churches Paul planted, this was one of the best churches of Paul. You know, Paul, all the churches he wrote, he was either solving a problem, solving a doctrinal issue. This is the only church that you will not find Paul solving any doctrinal issue or moral issue. He rather said that, I thank my God that when I remember you, I just pray for you. And perhaps he prayed this prayer for them so much that that was why they were, they were, they were. Now, if you look at Ephesus, Ephesus was a hard ground to plant a church. Hard ground. It was a place where Mammon was ruling. It was a place where the goddess Dinus of Artemis was a strong god. 
I mean, today, like if we are having church planting meetings, one of the places we might not even consider to go and plant church is Ephesus. It's a pagan, very godless society. Between Corinth and Ephesus, you will choose Corinth. Ephesus was a hard ground. It was a godless place. Yet, in the midst of godlessness, because Paul had been praying that prayer for them so much, even though that place was a dark region, the people there who joined the church, they were spiritually enlightened because their eyes of their understanding was enlightened as a result of the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. These people thrive in a godless and in a pagan society because they knew Christ. And it will take knowing Christ to live in today's society, which is a mirror image of Ephesus. Today's society is a godless one. And if we want to survive, we will have to know Christ. We will have to thank our presiding bishop for giving us this theme this year. I think this is not just a buzzword. It's more than a prophetic word. We have to key into this prophetic word until the end of the year and make sure that no matter what may, let Christ be our focus. Let him be the center of our knowledge. May we know Christ that truly will be delivered from spiritual blindness. Can you open your mouth and begin to pray? Pray that you'll be filled with the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ in the next one minute. Balloon Doromoshi Kaben Dali Bosianta Raboshi Kaban de Libre Kabanda Rabosi Kayata di Baluan de Rebecuya de Rebezuka Tali do Bando Rabosabo Hantoni Mashakan de Liberando Mosikayan de Rebeco Balon da Rebosita and Daramosha Kabanda Mosika Rebando Raboshi and Darababalo Abando Rabosika Rebanda Rabosi Kadabem Kayan de Liboshi Kadababa Pray that may you be filled with the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light, that you will no longer walk as though you are spiritually blind. May, may we not be like the church of Laodicea, May we not know the form of church, play church, play ministry. And then when it comes to the bare realities, we are just blind. May we come to the place of knowing Christ indeed. May we say like Apostle Paul, that truly I may know Christ. May that be my goal. May that be my focus in the name of Jesus. We want to serve Christ for real, for real, for real. We want to serve Christ. May we be delivered from the plague of spiritual blindness in the name of Jesus. Lord, open our understanding as we take the scriptures to read. Lord, open our understanding that we will know the hope of our calling. Lord, open our understanding that we will understand the glorious riches of your inheritance that you have for us in Christ. 
Christ. Lord, open our understanding that we will know the exceeding greatness of your power that you have toward us. Lord, open our understanding that we will not reject the power of God. Lord, open our understanding that we will embrace the Spirit. Lord, open our understanding that we will flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, open our understanding that we will be receptive to the to the to the spirit and and to the things of god lord open our understanding that things of the spirit will not become foreign to us in the name of jesus begin to pray thank you lord you know if you read leviticus chapter 21 i hope i'm right the bible talks about the qualifications of a priest and one of the things it mentions is that if you are a priest, you should not have a flat nose. Do you know why? Because it talks about when you have a flat nose, you, 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 you lose sense of smell. People who are spiritually blind, they are not spiritually sensitive. That's why another word for being spiritually blind is dull-hearted. You are just dull-hearted. We want to pray that as the Lord delivers us from this chronic plague, may we become sensitive to the things of the Spirit. It's important. In the Old Testament, you can't be a priest if you have a flat nose. You have lost your sense of smell. You are not sensitive. How are you going to even have sacrifice on the altar and then your sense of smell is gone? And today, if we are approaching God's word, may we be sensitive. May, may our senses be heightened. People whose senses are heightened, they are not spiritually blind. That's for sure. Not at all. May our senses be heightened. May the Lord flood the eyes of our understanding with light as a result of the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Lord, may we be heightened spiritually. May our senses be heightened. May we not be dull. As Jeremiah, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10, may the shepherds not be brutish. May we not be brutish. But may we, may, may we have a heart of flesh that indeed we can perceive, we can sense, and we can know the things of the Spirit because we've been delivered from that condition of spiritual darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.